0: hey guys great news for the holidays seasons one and two of raise the dead are now available on audiobook at raisethedeadpodcast.com complete you can use audible credits for it i highly recommend that you do if you're like me and you got a few of them stacked up go back to 1960 kennedy versus nixon one of the most misunderstood elections in American history, find out how it connects to the big upset of the 2016 race and why the Trump campaign took their inspiration from the Kennedys. Then get season two, 1964, the biggest power vacuum in American political history and what it says about the election we just saw. Both audiobooks come with exclusives not heard on the podcast, raisethedeadpodcast.com slash complete. Get Seasons 1 and 2 on Audible right now. The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Carr Show, Frank Latuca, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Jim Wright, Will Harris, and Craig. Politics! 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 Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you for our Christmas edition of the program. I'm your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Ah, I can't believe the holiday's already here. It's almost as if we've all been wishing this year would fast forward as fast as possible and now that we have crawled fingernail through grain of sand through fingernail through grain of sand into the very end of it that, well, we can't help but look back and say, man, that sure was a crappy year. This is not a crappy episode Of the show, however, we finally have a COVID deal, and it allows us, with that behind us, to take a look at some of the performances over the year, and I would like to highlight that of Nancy Pelosi today. I'll be a bit of a a Grinch (laughs) to old Nancy during the show today, because I think she did a horrifying job. We're also going to ask the question, exactly how much should you be worrying about the news stories that are coming out of the White House? They are increasingly combative and bizarre, but where on the grand scale of we all need to run into our bunkers versus this is just yet another Example of a who farted and where story do we want to put the severity. We also have the results of something that I asked you guys last Friday. I asked you guys last Friday, who is fighting the hardest? Because I wanted to determine whether or not we all just kind of think that the other side is fighting harder than us. A ton of you guys wrote back. I greatly appreciate it. And we have the results for you. And finally, we've got a great interview with one of our favorite guests, Kevin Ryan. And we are going to introduce, for the first time, something you may well have already seen in this podcast feed. My Christmas present to you feature story a brand new podcast from myself and Kevin Ryan. We are both co-creators on it, and the first edition of it features me as host and Kevin Ryan's work. We're going to talk a lot more about the origins of it on on this podcast in the interview a little bit later, but the thumbnail is we're going to take fantastic, long-form journalism and get the best writers in America and and beyond and make some of their best works into audiobook plus 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 awesome podcast episodes using the original audio that they use to rec- to record and report on those articles. We really want to expand and redefine the genre in a way that I don't believe anybody is doing with this caliber of writer. I'm super thrilled. The first episode features one of Kevin's uh, profiles on Jordan Peterson. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But first! We also have in the legislation uh, direct payments, which they're not in the Republican bill, to America's work informally. I would like them in, in bigger, but they are. Uh, significant and they will be going out soon the president may insist on having his name on the check but make no mistake those checks are from the American that is Nancy Pelosi speaking on the floor of the House of Representatives on Tuesday as they voted on the new COVID relief bill uh, and in the House, the spending bill, they were separate there and then combined into one on the Senate floor. Now, there are many, many, many good people, including Jen Briney of Congressional Dish, who is going to do yeoman's work in pouring through all the details on this particular deal and it is massive considering we have a gigantic stimulus and a spending bill much of which seems to have gotten intertwined in, in, in the minds of some folks but I'm not going to do that you guys know me I want to I, I want to look at who did well and who didn't and based on the raw numbers Of what got passed, there is no question in my mind that one thing is true. Nancy Pelosi got worked, worked over. She buckled, buckled like a belt, snapped, snapped like a, like a, like a folding table at a Buffalo Bills tailgate. That is what Nancy Pelosi did. She got worked by Mitch McConnell from St. Patrick's Day to Christmas and ultimately only succeeded in not creating a distraction to a presidential election and possibly, not definitely, not for sure, possibly diverting a trickle of the massive rapids of fundraising coming into the House and Senate races that, by the way, didn't matter because the Democrats, by and large, lost them. In the intervening time, we're not even going to get to this, but I just want to mention this up top. Nancy Pelosi, for all of her kneeling in kente cloth, got nothing done on police reform, despite both parties putting forth bills. It's not like she doesn't know how to compromise. She does. She just did. But apparently not for police reform. Meanwhile... On this COVID situation, she got no stimulus during the summer when the virus shut down the Southeast. We got no stimulus in the fall when schools were about to open. We got no stimulus when she had the opportunity to partner with the White House for a $1.8 trillion bill before the election. She passed on Trump's push to do a standalone bill for $1,200 checks. And as she just repeated in that clip I just played, it's because, this is one of her favorite lines, all he wants is his name On the checks. That's what this is about. I don't think that she is standing in the way of progress by way of blaming Donald Trump because she has some blood feud against him. She's doing it because Donald Trump is a massive, massive, never before seen money factory. For the Democrats. And if what the Speaker in the House does is generate cash to give to the people that are running in her caucus, then she is an unmitigated success. In fact, she never had a muse like Donald Trump before. And she is loathe to let that go, which is why, along the way, she ignored a bipartisan group in the House that offered a $1.5 trillion deal leading us right up to election day. Do Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump deserve blame? Of course. Of course they do. But you guys know me. I'm here to call balls and strikes. And here's the count. Mitch McConnell sat there, and Nancy Pelosi never really lobbied it realistically into his court she put her line in the sand and then sat there and collected cash while pointing at Donald Trump and saying we need to get him out of there. Here's the chronology best I can figure it. Cocaine Mitch puts a deal on the table over the summer. Now, it's a far cry from the $4 trillion bill that Nancy passes in the House. So... In the spirit of bipartisanship, Nancy graciously halves the bill and then puts her foot down. Now, this is where we wind up getting into, I think, some partisan rancor because some would look at that as saying, look, this is Nancy coming down, coming coming halfway down, literally meeting in the middle, which I find to be a little empty, mostly because... If you know that coming down halfway also isn't going to pass, then what's the point? It's all performative. And that's something we now know for sure. Because Nancy effectively took that exact same deal from the summer in December. And even then... In a story in Politico, which went out of their way to highlight all the little things that Nancy got into the bill. I mean, none of it made for over a trillion dollars. And if Nancy in the summer said, fine, I'm willing to compromise under a trillion dollars then there's a lot that could have been done. She could have gotten all the stuff that she got into the bill and then maybe even a promise to do another bill by the time that the year was up or at least had some kind of movement there. Call it phase two or or, or part one or something, right? She would have at least put the ball in their court betting on the idea that this is not going to be over until the vaccine, COVID's not going to be over until the vaccine, and then she would have at least been in the driver's seat. But she didn't. She didn't. She just continued to blame Trump. And she blames Trump in this Politico article. Quote, I'm counting down the hours till he's gone. I plan to pull him out there by his hair, his little hands, and his feet. Well, be careful what you wish for, Nance. You just might get it. Without Trump, Nancy is literally without her greatest asset, the money tree. No one, again, has raised money for the Democrats like Trump has. And the further he exits from the political scene, the less effective he will be for them. Look, it's one thing if he is a presumptive 2024 presidential nominee. It's another thing if he's Sarah Palin. And he continues to play for a certain conservative audience, but isn't taken seriously enough by the mainstream. And at this point, considering how erratic Trump Trump's behavior has been and the failure for him to understand that there is another act if he just begins it, well, Trump might be looking a little Palin-ish these days. But then there's the other thing that as far as stimulus goes, Trump might well have been a better partner than Joe Biden will be. But Biden's a Democrat, you're saying. Yes, and? Yes, and? Trump is not a fiscal hawk. And he's desperate, oh so desperate to be liked. If Pelosi had worked in good faith with Mnuchin, As a bulwark against the fiscal skinflints led by McConnell, the pressure would have at least been on the GOP to make a deal. Instead, they now have Biden at the top of the food chain, who has a very long history of senatorial compromise. He knows everyone in the Senate. And he knows exactly how Senate deals are made. Ugly. And on the fault lines of power. So who's got power right now in Congress? Mitch does. He just played a staring game with Nancy Pelosi and won. Nancy has none. If we just watched Pelosi's initial $4 trillion offer get whittled down to $900 billion in six months, then the only thing that I can reasonably expect from the future in a Biden administration is for that process to go faster and with more concessions to McConnell. Which leaves us here. What happens to Nancy? Well, she's apparently promised those in the House that this will be her last two years as Speaker. But by that point, Biden faces a midterm in which historically the party in power loses seats that could effectively tip both the Senate and the House into GOP control. Her legacy, fittingly, will be what it has been in her prime, a symbolically important effort that ultimately yields nothing. Ah, look at that, monologue time! Look at me—they call me Mr. Monologue. <laughs> <laughs> for shame, sir! For shame! I don't really do a good Keith Olbermann, sir. Resign, sir. I-, I can only really do impressions of conservatives pundits. I don't know what it is. I can't do impressions of of liberal pundits. I can't do a Maddow. I can't do an Olbermann. Oh, well. Let me ask you a question. How much are you worrying about these Trump stories right now? Because they're getting increasingly bizarre. They're getting increasingly bizarre. Here are some headlines. White House advisors fear Trump's final days. Trump-Wade naming election theory conspiracist as special counsel. And from Axios, Trump turns on everyone. Well, the the, the meat of this is that Donald Trump... All right, things we know are totally true. Donald Trump has not, and likely at this point, will not concede the election. Donald Trump continually says that he did not lose the election, and that there was massive election fraud that turned the tide. Whether or not you believe this to be true, what we know is that there is at this point little proof and no recourse for him to do such a thing. And so, as the business of Washington tends to move on, Trump finds himself at the ass end of this bargain. There is no power, but future power. And trust me, as sure as the three wise men followed the star of Bethlehem, to meet the dear baby Jesus, each and every person in Washington, D.C. follows future power. That's why Mitch McConnell recognized Joe Biden. That's why Bill Barr is, is, is out of here. That's why stalwart elements of conservative media have begun to turn the page. Because if you want to be on the battlefield, you got to know where the fighting is, and the fighting is around the future power. So, are we indeed in a constitutional crisis? And, like the Atlantic prophesized, will we lead to an anime final battle on Inauguration Day where Joe Biden and Donald Trump will match wits for one final time? Each with a hand on the Constitution telling the other one to let go or they'll rip it. No, I don't think so. For all the future power stuff I just saw. You want to know what I believe this is? I believe, and if you look at the bylines on these stories, up to and including Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, Jonathan Swan of Axios, They are specific figures for whom have been excellent at plumbing Trump scoops. And we know this, the Trump White House, just like the Trump campaign, oh, they love talking. They love talking. They love talking to reporters about Annie and everything. Now, this usually happens as your future power begins to evaporate. People have less of a reason to protect you and more of a reason to protect themselves. So they'd rather be on the ins in the media know-it-all circle. But with Trump, things are getting a little weird. As some of his rank-and-file advisors, folks who would like to continue to work in government, begin to let Donald Trump know that, hey, you're going to have to give up at some point. Trump dismisses them and he continues to bring in new people, new people that will tell him he needs to fight. Among those are Rudy and Sidney Powell. I said this on Twitter, but I'll say this to y'all. I would love to see Sidney Powell watch and explain the plot of tenant to me. (laughs) As you can see, these items have become inverted. This is a plot from the future. Its central code name is Tenant. Next slide, please. So Trump floats all these ideas. And this is where I think the media is kind of licking the bowl a little bit. Like whenever, I don't know if y'all ever made a, you know, a good salad or cookies or brownies or whatever and you know you you just you want to lick the bowl you want to take a finger and just whoop down the bottom of the bowl pop it in your mouth we're running out of trump at least trump white house any more guaranteed trump white house we're running out of it running out of daylight so what are these guys that are great at getting trump scoops doing what they've always done they're getting trump scoops they're just a little weird these days And so the CNN and New York Times and Axios scoops were, there was a wacky meeting in the White House. Now, nothing got decided. There's no actual action coming out of it. There was a lot of ideas, the kookiest of which were from Sidney Powell, who wanted the government to seize voting machines. And at some point, General Flynn, who was Sidney Powell's client, by the way, Now, Flynn is a free man now by way of a presidential pardon, but he also pled guilty twice. I kind of wonder how much Sidney Powell was a good lawyer there. Anyway, some people that are outside the government recommended some wacky things. Nothing happened. So are these stories unnerving? Sure, Are there anything you need to worry about unless you are greatly concerned about the subscription churn of the paywall of the New York Times or the page views of sites like Axios and CNN, then no, I don't think you particularly need to worry all that much. And again. If we get a final anime battle on Inauguration Day, I owe you a Coke. I asked you guys last Friday, who is working hard? Who's fighting for their cause the most? Democrats or the Republicans? Well, I I got some great, great, Great feedback from you guys. A lot of emails. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. A few top lines here. Number one, we got such a great diversity of of, of, of ideologies that listen to this show. It really makes me so happy. Because it's one thing to say that you want an audience that's ideologically diverse. It's another to put out an idea like this and ask you guys to identify yourselves and just watch all the different labels come in. So I'm just looking at this right now. Conservative, progressive, none. Blue dog Democrat, Yang Democrat, AOC Democrat, independent, libertarian, never Trump GOP, young conservative. So many great, great, great ideologies. I'm, I'm so excited because it feels like, I, I, at the very least, I'm not going to gaslight myself if you guys are the ones holding me accountable someone's going to punch me in the gut when I get too full of myself or I get too far down the wrong path. Now, many of you wrote in to say that the real divide was not liberal or conservative, but rather establishment versus non-establishment or elites versus populism, some various version of that. Uh, And while that is certainly helpful, uh, it was not quantifiable based on what I'm looking for. So (laughs) I do appreciate it. And I did read as much of your emails as I could. And and by that, I mean, I read a part of every email. But some of them, oh my God, you you guys like writing novellas. Now let's get into the real nitty gritty here. The majority of everybody who wrote in thought that the GOP fights harder for their causes than the Democrats do. And I'm sure that there are Trump supporters listening right now for whom would say, well, that's news to me. Doesn't exactly feel like they're fighting super hard. And I'm sure some religious conservatives are saying, well, it doesn't seem that way to me. Seems like a lot of other people wind up fighting a lot harder, but, based on our informal little study, the GOP, they got the fighter brand. Only one conservative thought that the Democrats fight harder than the GOP, which I thought was interesting because that's not the case on the other side. More of those on the ideological left thought the GOP was fighting harder than the Democrats. So maybe this is Baked in one way. While conservatives believe that the GOP fights harder, Democrats, by and large, have less faith in how hard their party fights for their values. So I guess that would go to the tiebreaker. We had one independent person write in and say, I am ideologically and registered as independent. And he thought the GOP fought harder. Among the most mentioned names of the people that actually fight, fight for their causes across all ideologies, across all political parties, was none other than (laughs) cocaine. cocaine Mitch McConnell. They're apparently, look, his brand right now is very strong when it comes to getting what he wants. Friends, the holiday season is upon us and uh, so is New Year's. A real quick scheduling note here. Uh, There will be no Friday episode, so no Christmas Day episode of this program. And then our uh, uh, show a week from today will be a double interview episode, one more interview about the Atlanta and Georgia electorate, so we can prepare for our runoffs, and The one and only Tom Merritt will be back on the show. As for New Year's Day, it's not gonna be a full episode, but we're gonna have something that a lot of you have been waiting with bated breath for. Indeed. He arrives. In the meantime, we are going to keep rolling with our px3 extras any news that does break will be in our monday episode in our thursday episodes those roll on through the holidays unbroken if you would like to get on that train if you would like to support this show if you would like to support us you want to get on that three dollar level and over to our Patreon, takepoliticsseriously.com. If you just want to make a one-time donation on PayPal, it is paypal.me slash payjury. On Venmo, it is justin-young-20. And if you want to send an old school check or anything else, P.O. Box 10853 Oakland, California 94610. Also, if you need a last minute gift, for the PX3 fan in your life, I'm on Cameo now. 35 bucks. Super cheap. Head on over there right now. Uh, go on to Cameo. Just search for Justin Young and you will find me right there. Thank you guys as always for your support and keeping this show alive during the holidays. Oh, 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 oh. All right, so here's the deal. We got this new podcast from Dog and Pony Show Audio. If you like Raise the Dead, if you like this show, you're gonna love it, and you can listen to it in this feed. It's called Feature Story. However, we are also debuting it on its own feed today as well. So, you're gonna listen to our interview with my co-star and co-creator on that show, but then... If you want a longer conversation after you've listened to the episode behind the reporting process, then you're going to have to go get on the Feature Story feed itself. And you can find that at FeatureStoryPodcast.com. So listen to it on this feed. Go to FeatureStoryPodcast.com. Get the RSS feed. You can use that to sign up anywhere you want. And we'll also have links as we get approved to all the stores. And get the uh, other side of this interview with Kevin that is specifically spoiler focused as to his reporting process on our episode about Jordan Peterson. So with that being said, our guest today is an author and the co-creator of the newly minted feature story podcast. Welcome back to the show, Kevin Ryan.
1: Good to be here, man.
0: You know, I, I you you've become more and more of a of a fan favorite here on PX Three. <laughs> people people love uh, uh, and and I think uh, I think they, they, they love our 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 quixotic conversations.
1: Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so we have something in common.
0: Uh, uh, all right, so we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff, including this brand new project that we have dropping, uh, which I'm very, very proud of both of us that either of us have like talked about it anywhere. I know I have a, I have a problem with that. I, I have a problem. It's been not, tough. It's I have a problem really not talking tough. about things publicly while I'm working on them.
1: Oh yeah. My eight, my eight month old daughter has heard all about it. Like a million times <laughs> over. <laughs> Other than that, it's been really tough because this is—it's such an exciting project that we're doing. I think it's—I want to call it revolutionary. That's been my uh, my hang up I'm like, come on, this is going to start a a uh, creative nonfiction revolution in this country. Uh, that might be a bit of no. I, I, love, believe, it. I love it. I love it. I'm. I'm. I think
0: this is part of why we get along. Is that we we both have sure. a like like a, a go big or go home kind of attitude. That like if, if 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 it ain't worth getting up in the morning and saying that it's the best in the world,
1: then what the hell are you doing it for? <laughs> I agree. I agree. And and that's that's the attitude. That's the attitude to have. And it's funny. Like I, I know you know we'll we'll talk about the Peterson. Uh, story at some point but that's the same feeling I had when I was working on that story oh yeah the whole time it was you know because every story is different and it gives you there's a a very complicated set of feelings that you get and with the Peterson story it was one of those things where it's like uh, I think this is the winning lottery ticket like not in the sense that it was going to bring me riches but in the sense that like there's something really special about this like The reporting, the conversation we're having, Um, so yeah, I I love that feeling. (laughs) Oh uh, man, it's a good feeling. And especially
0: in journalism, it's it's kind of rare, you know. Like like there's a lot of times where you you have to beat out the idea that you think that idea is coming, because it, it can lead you down paths that are a waste of time, or even more dangerously, like you know, false. Right. You are going to gaslight yourself into a story that doesn't exist. Uh, but I, I do very much believe so feature story is the new podcast. We will talk about that in a second. But I want to get into this larger general conversation with you as we are now weeks away from the transition between Biden and Trump, despite the fact that Trump has not uh, conceded. Although, really, I, I think this is probably even because he has not conceded. It is proof to me that we are now seeing kind of a lessening of the tension in our culture because Trump hasn't changed, but the reaction to him has. And this feels like a feeling that we have not felt in five years, Kevin. People seem to not care about politics as much today as they did a month and a half ago.
1: I thank God for our national blood pressure that that's the case, but maybe not thank God completely because this is how you and I make money. Uh, <laughs> but I I think it's been a positive. There's there's a part of it that that I have a problem with though because I think part of the part of the tension comes from a, a something that the media have contrived. Um, yeah. and it's it's like oh was the, was the lever there. All along, was there a, was that lever to to immediately make everything chill again? There and it was just used tactically. That I have a problem with. Um, well, well, let me let me ask you this:
0: Has it changed from the media's perspective? Because if you turn on CNN, it's hmm. still Trump about to unleash thirty days of chaos, and and Axios and and uh, Politico are still reporting. Every syllable that was said, as as every idea that was pitched in the room, uh, becomes kind of de facto presidential letterhead decree. So it's not like the media has necessarily stopped reporting. I almost feel like it's the audience. The audience is is not as excited to run out into the streets and start screaming.
1: That's a good distinction. I I think you're right, and um, that's powerful. I, I think. You you called it in w- in one of our discussions. You called it. I think this was in March. You said this is th- what's going to determine this election is either it's this is either going to be a COVID election or a civil unrest election. And, th- and the civil unrest didn't stick around for as long. Yeah, COVID unfortunately is still here, and I think that's what lost Trump the er- election. Right? Or- oh God! Yeah. I I don't, I don't think that that's,
0: I don't think that that's a a, a question at this point, like even, even in just how he handled it, it it was, you know, it was pretty bad. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, 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 and it also just did him no favors. Number one, there's an element that he was always going to be bad at because he's not good at organizing as we've seen in, you know, like let's, let's (laughs) imagine, uh, uh, that he is actively trying to overturn the election that he genuinely knows he lost and he is he is saying like a super villain i will overturn this election we have seen that apparently his response to do it is just to unleash you know a a clown car and let them you know step on each other's oversized shoes and squirt uh seltzer at each other's faces like there's there's he's not good at organization he's never been so the idea of a massive organization and messaging effort was just never going to happen. But even the stuff that he was good at, like the vaccines, there's, there's, it's, it's crazy that he just wasn't up there every week saying, "Uh, uh, today they entered into phase one trials. Uh, they have a billion people doing phase one trials. Uh, this other company is in phase two. Uh, thank you very much. I'll see you later." And, and have Just that be facts. that.
1: Yeah. What we saw is it's like Chappelle said in one of his his specials, we saw Donald Trump's lip sweat. Yeah. We saw him nervous and we we're like, oh man, we shouldn't be doing this. Like that's you gotta you have to stay calm here. Which Biden, I don't know. I I'm let's give you know, I think Biden will do well. You know, I think eh, he'll do fine. I don't know. He'll I mean he'll give us plenty to talk about.
0: Well, I mean, that'll be the question. The question is kind of where media goes from here, because, True. you know, I, I, there is sort of the the conservative knee jerk meme reaction of like, uh, uh you know, the, the 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 shack Reddit meme where it's like, you know, like oh, like uh. uh, uh if, if uh, Biden is running, like I sleep. And then uh, if, if Trump is running, it's like real S and has like his like, eyes glowing red. I, I think that there is an idea that it, this will just be a Benadryl media cycle for Biden. That everything that Biden does that might otherwise rile up the populace that we saw with Trump will just kind of go unmentioned. But then again, it's not like the media is in a great position right now. Like, they need no. money. They're firing people. Like, they have an ad crisis that only got worse through COVID. So maybe they'll start eating the Democrats.
1: The the Trump era was good for the media. As, as much as that, I mean, it was like that relationship where, like, I hate Bradley, but it's <laughs> like, you love Bradley. You love him. Uh, <laughs> and you're going to miss Bradley, man.
0: Oh my god, yeah, no, I have I've I've joked that the uh the the theme song for those who are the most animated in hating Trump is that uh uh Anna Kendrick When I'm Gone song. Like, you know, there is there is in there is a a, a, a a real a real uh thought here that you know, who knows what what does politics look like without Trump right now? I mean, let uh, as much as we can all say well it should have been something different it should have been something different if there's anything that we can say through this covid thing is that we all understand what the power of routine is and for half a decade we were programmed into the routine of donald trump is the main character of politics and quite possibly american life uh and and in in the same way that we know now through this covid thing whatever emerges on the other end of it is going to probably look, even if it's more normal, it will look more like what we're doing now than it did in February. Like there, there will be hallmarks because that's just how we operate. We just keep doing things, and then we add things on top of it. So when we take things away, it, it's, it's hard to kind of get it back. And I, I wonder whether or not politics is something that people care as much about whether uh, we do care about it, but now maybe the Democrats don't get the pass that they might have otherwise, or if everything is exactly the same, because at the end of the day, this is just a you know, the way the way it goes, and maybe politics survives like 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 the cockroach in a nuclear fallout.
1: For sure, and part of my challenge as a uh, literary nonfiction writer. Has been – I think as a culture, we need to lower the importance of politics, he says on a podcast yeah, called Politics, Politics, exactly. Politics. Uh, it, I think it w- is, would be good for our collective uh, health or mental health even um, to have a lot less hysteria, which I feel like that's just a platitude at this point. Well – so wait, wait, go, oh, go, oh, Fini- go ahead. go fin- no, ahead. No, finish your thought. Well, my, my contribution, if I have a contribution to – the overall culture of what's happening right now is to try and bring in, raise the importance of art, raise the importance of, uh, literature. Well, and that, that's a pretty lofty goal, but more important, raising the, the importance of like friendship and laughter and all of these things that used to, to, uh, have more significance than politics. I I feel like politics has just completely consumed us as a culture. And I I am hoping if this feels different, like you said it well at the beginning, this, the with Trump, it's like he has no more gasoline in his flamethrower and it's like, Oh, thank God that flamethrower got very close to my eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and, But then again, it gets back to that thought that you had where it's like, well, wait, was the power in us the whole time? Yeah. Or was it only because he wasn't elected? Or let me ask you this question. Was this just fatigue? Was this just even if Trump had won reelection, would we have seen a similar idea because he would now be a, a, a lame duck and everyone would just know, all right, well, let's just wait four years.
1: Americans don't get tired, baby, (laughs) (laughs) but we do get bored. We do get very bored. That's what's dangerous about us. We get bored and our memory, our collective memory isn't so great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I, we need to work on that of remembering how we got into these situations. It feels like a Scooby-Doo episode sometimes. It's like, (laughs) it's like, guys, we solved this one last week. Uh,
0: all right, let me uh, uh, change the topic slightly to the fact that uh, Congress did a thing, and uh, the only thing that we like... Barely. Less than Congress uh, not doing a thing is when Congress does a thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what What is your take on this now-past spending bill slash COVID relief uh, effort?
1: I mean, I, I think, like... Like everybody, it's going to take me the rest of the month to read what's in the thing. Um, but all we know right now is that seven hundred million went to was it Sudan? And well, that's a- that's that's in the spending bill, right? So I, I okay, do think gotcha. I do
0: think that we should clarify that these were the same thing because they waited until eleven fifty nine. To get it well, technically they passed continuing resolutions until it was like twelve fifteen. But they waited until the very, 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 very end of when they could do anything to do two things
1: that were separate. So, and this is uh walk me through this because you know this way better than I do. Yeah. This was like that was intentional, right?
0: Well the last minute element. Everything is tends to be last minute in Congress okay. because nobody wants to do anything until their backs against the wall because they want to preserve the fact that if they're doing something unpopular, that they had to do something unpopular or else, right?
1: That's so pathetic, dude. Of course it is. Yeah. (laughs) No, they suck. So it's like, and what bothers me is that they, they try to like, they demand this like image of, um, heroics. They want us to to praise them as if they're heroes. And then they do stuff like this. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 inta- it's insanely
0: gross mostly because for anybody who complains about the $600 and and I'm not Well, here, you want to know what? Let's 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 start here cuz I I like to get into the kind of humanistic nitty-gritty with you. Oh, for sure. Everybody's getting $600 and it's a bad thing. Why?
1: money please uh, no I just feel like they should have started with six uh, it's like bro you gave me 1200 last time what's this about like am I not doing as well with my chores uh, <laughs> I can I mean the conservatives um you know I don't okay let's let's reel back like I think conservatives have a problem with the The fact that it's being distributed at all. Um, Well, but like, I think we are, we are so through the looking glass on this that if we,
0: if we get into the political compass of it, it also kind of doesn't make sense because. Wouldn't you rather isn't more of the conservative ethos that if we want to stimulate the populace that we literally just throw money in people's faces instead of putting it through complex, uh, uh, mistake prone, graft rich uh, government programs for which they rail against. Like, isn't isn't it the more conservative idea to just say, no, all right, take six hundred a piece take twelve hundred a piece instead of putting it into joblessness benefits or, or something like that where 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 that can be abused. But then again, in our modern world, a twelve hundred dollar checks were were championed by the weirdest tag team in congressional history, uh, <laughs> Josh Howley and Bernie Sanders. Wow, talk about strange bedfellows. Wow, uh, and. The like PPP loans and stuff like that were championed by the rest of the uh, uh, governmental establishment. The Democrats were kind of against that. I don't know. All of this just seemed like everybody was everybody in Congress seemed like it was like the price is right where like (laughs) they were like putting their hand near a thing and then looking out to the audience and, and <laughs> hearing, if they go, yay, you're like, no. And then, and then taking all of their cues from there, because you, you're right. I, I, I don't see in the political compass where any of these things very neatly fit. It all just seems like, Hey, no. we're in a once in a century pandemic. Let's do something. If you're shutting down
1: the economy for the health reasons. Definitely. Well, here's the reality. Most of that money is going straight to Amazon. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I, it's that's what's unfortunate about all this. Like, I do the I I agree with the conservatives in that like small businesses are really taking a hit in this, and that's that sucks.
0: Oh, they're getting they're getting slaughtered. You know, I I here where I live in Oakland, where we shut down earlier than anybody, we stayed shut down, we opened up the least. I got about a month and a half of being able to go to a gym before they shut that down again. They shut down outdoor dining again. And it's like, you just walk through downtown, which I do a lot, multiple times a week. And day by day, you see things closing. Day by day, you see old institutions. Closing permanently. Yeah, that are just
1: gone. That's heartbreaking. That's, and we're really just, I know that the, um, vaccine is coming or the vaccine is out yeah but, two two um, two vaccines approved so we're getting shots in arms as we speak which thank god for that but i, I yeah the, the, the damage is still being done and it's going to be keep happening for a while right that's the yeah. that's the impression i've gotten
0: uh all right let's talk very briefly about the beginning of of our new project and then we will have a more in-depth conversation in the actual pilot episode. But let's, let's talk about our initial conversation. Uh, uh, it was great. Let's well here, uh, uh, folks feature story is the brand new podcast. You, it is in the PX three feed. It will have its own feed very soon and I will alert you guys when that is live so you can subscribe to it Uh, It is well here you want to know what Uh, Kevin why why, why don't you describe what Feature Story
1: is Feature Story is a podcast that collects long form creative uh, writing nonfiction written to be heard so like with my I personally as a writer I'm obsessive about every single word and the sound of the word. So when I'm, um, this is part, part of the reason I don't work in an office somewhere, because when I'm writing a story, I'm like reading the words aloud over and over and over. Every single sentence in one of my stories, I've read it aloud, I mean, dozens of times. With the Peterson story, it was, I mean, I did probably t- uh, 20 drafts, 20 or 30 drafts of that story. And it had to be everything had to be perfect. It was all synced up to certain particular music. So there's a certain kind of uh, long form article that exists, but it has only existed uh, in a, in a magazine, in, yeah. in a magazine like you know Harper's, New Yorker, The Atlantic, Esquire to a lesser extent. GQ has some good uh, literary nonfiction. ESPN surprisingly has has done uh, great stuff. Yeah. I mean, they went through, a they went through that phase where they were just like throwing money at anything. They're like, just be creative. We don't care. We don't, there are no boundaries. Uh, so this podcast collects all of those stories and brings them to life in a way that they haven't had the chance of doing it. And we do it in a way that's, uh, that's creative. It, nobody, nobody has done it like the, like we're doing it. I mean, we're we're infusing the audio with the, uh, or I'm sorry, ref, uh, infusing the stories with the original audio, whatever salvageable. Um, and there's like music to it. It's more sophisticated, in my opinion, than uh, like what you can find at NPR. But it's also more enjoyable. Um, and these are these are some of the best. Living writers in America. This is the next generation of great American writers.
0: Yeah, and and uh, uh, this is a pilot. Effectively, this will be our first episode. Our first season will debut in twenty twenty one. We'll have more specific dates as we uh, as as we get further through production. But this all came about when I was in Tulsa, and. For the- for the I, Trump rally. For the Trump rally. And I think, I forget if it was the first or the second night, but I had uh, uh, just gotten back and we were hanging out and and you had uh, uh, cooked a, an awesome dinner and uh, we we're just chilling on your porch, having a good time. And really my conversation with you was more at, at the idea of like, I'm like, Kevin, you are great at what you do. You are a great feature writer, but like, are are you in the the telegraph business like are you are you in are you in a business where like people just like the the outlets that paid for it just don't exist anymore forget not wanting it I'm sure they want it desperately but but the money is not there so just explain to people what the what the, the the actual career of of a feature writer is and who normally pays for it and and how often you normally write per year.
1: So um I I have friends who work strictly as um freelancers for all the big all the big um you know I had a buddy of mine just had a piece come out in the Atlantic and he is uh he's kind of the model. He's like uh, uh this is Mike Mooney. He's actually gonna be on the podcast. He we hope we hope. We are all we're all we're all working. So
0: uh, this, 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 oh, this is this, this is this is this is me producer. Justin. No, 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 no. We could say it. Yes. we could say it because now it puts okay. pressure on him. But uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but but just just so everybody knows we are we are still in production. But yes, yes, we, would, we would love to have him.
1: Um, so he's uh, he gets he probably does. And I don't want to speak too much for him because I don't know all the details, but he typically does. He has six to nine really big stories come out a year. Um, and, and that, that involves, you know, I'm talking about in-depth stories, either profiles, feature stories. His piece in the Atlantic is about a woman who, uh, you know, got developed this re- relationship with a man in prison and and she, that evolves. She sneaks him out basically. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not ruining anything. It's a great story. You should check it out. Uh, Anywhere between 3,000 to 10,000 words. And depending on the publication, that is, you know, the, the norm is like a, a dollar a word is kind of low. Two dollars a word is, is reasonable. So, I mean, that's like yeah. one story. If you do a story that's, uh, you know, 5,000 words, that's not a bad. That, it seems like, hey, that's not a bad payday. But the amount of work that goes into every single story is grueling. Yeah, because um, you're you're, you have- you're you're traveling. You're
0: getting access. You're paying for your own way on stuff, and 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 this is just it's it, it's a it, it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work.
1: It is, and the, the as you said, the um, the outlets willing to pay that money. I mean, but it's there. It's still there as an industry, but it is shrinking. And those spots at the top are just like they are on lock, man. Yeah. They are the, the it's it's a really small group of people, which the 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 number of journalists in America is a lot smaller than I think most people think. It's it's not a big industry. No. Um, but it is very hard to get to the top of it. Um and yeah, I don't know. There, there's there's a lot of really good literary nonfiction, but I feel like in, in uh, like most art has done, it's just it just keeps like folding in on itself. So what we want to do is open it back up and and mm-hmm. try and remove as much of the politics as possible. I mean, there's obviously a place for politics everywhere, but in to me, in my opinion, on the left, um, which you know, was, has been the sole. Yeah. um,
0: And and so, and so just, just,
1: just so we're, just so we're clear
0: when, when you listed all the places that normally buy these kinds of stories, they are, I'm sure for many people listening synonymous with then probably the things that you've read more of from the New Yorker and the Atlantic and, and stuff like that are politically charged opinion pieces. And and I think that that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if now somebody who's even a highly paid, very respected freelancer and they're like, hey, I want to do a story about uh, how dead bodies are disposed of. They're like, yeah. Is there any way that you can work in Trump?
1: <laughs> like, can we. Is there yeah. a Trump angle on this? Yeah. Can Trump be the body? Like, <laughs> Jesus. Too I, dark. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that
0: that, oh. that is part of what then colors even the top end of that sphere, right? If if even Definitely. they want to make sure that the things that are most popular for them are political stuff, so they want political features, then it just leaves a lot of things out in the wind to, to not find a home. And that's where I think that there's an underserved market, and that's where we hope to go to. Definitely.
1: And because the point of what we're doing is storytelling. Storytelling is the most important thing. Like you want the audience to be taken on a journey. It's they want you want them to be carried away. And by the end of it, they return or they they wind up somewhere new. And they are a little different than they were at the beginning when things began. And. Uh, you know, that should, um, whatever that undertaking is, whatever that voyage involves is, is what we're focusing on. We're not, we're, you know, if there's, if there's politics involved, but I think in in the general, in general, like what we've looked at so far has, it it isn't the political essays. This is like cinematic writing, scene driven, where if there's a message, you kind of have to dig for it. But, you know, I think a lot of people enjoy that. I know I, I personally do like the, f- the search for meaning.
0: Well, and, and what I had a great time in working with your piece, and and by the way, as we say that we want to remove politics from everything, it is now <laughs> that we say that our initial episode is about Jordan Peterson yeah. uh, and, and a fantastic feature that you wrote a couple of years ago that I think is very newly relevant now because you got Jordan Peterson at a point right before he just had a hellacious period. So he's a very controversial character that you're going to hear. He then, after you write this story goes to rehab and puts himself in a coma. And uh, uh, now COVID
1: too. got,
0: Oh, 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 we got COVID too. Good God. Um, No. So he is now about to do it all again. He's about to put out another book and, you kind of got to wonder, are some of these feelings in this moment that you capture kind of going through the heads of himself, his family, and his fans? But I just adored this story. Our initial conversation, we, we had this idea, and I was like, hey, give me a story that people talk about. You gave me that story. I I read it and immediately kind of heard in my head what I think it should sound like that evolved. We've worked on it for the past few months and uh, I'm, I'm just so extraordinarily proud of it. I I, I think it's a, it's, it, 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 it's just a great, great, great story. And, and I hope that folks who hate Jordan Peterson, folks who love Jordan Peterson, folks who've never heard of Jordan Peterson, I think are going to really enjoy what I think is a a
1: great capturing of of a moment in time. Definitely, and I for those of you who don't know Peterson, he he's a lot of his, the basis for his uh, worldview is uh, the the ideas of Carl Jung So um, that kind of undergirds. I wanted to remove the political element, and, and that's that was kind of fun to me. I, that's something I did with the Kanye story as well. I'm like. I'm going to take a highly uh, highly politically charged situation and a political figure and I'm going to try and cover up the um the politics. It's like yeah. the Seinfeld episode about masturbation where they never say the word masturbation. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, it there's there's a, it's, it's it's a sport really. There's some game to that.
0: Actually, now we're getting into stuff that I think people would really really like better once they've listened to the show. So, you can only find that conversation on the main Feature Story podcast feed. Go to FeatureStoryPodcast.com. Subscribe to that. You're going to find it there right now. But for right now, Kevin, where can people follow you on Twitter?
1: Uh, the underscore Kevin underscore Ryan.
0: And uh, do you have anything else cool coming out in the next uh, the next few weeks?
1: Oh, just this incredible, incredible podcast that we're working on.
0: That's it. Uh, All right, Kevin, thank you so much. Good to be here, man. And that'll wrap it up for us today. If you'd like to send us an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you want to send us a tweet at px3tweets, you want to follow us on Twitch, it is px3live.com. The newsletter, px3newsletter.com. And, of course, any way that you want to share this podcast, just go ahead and share px3podcast.com. Or politicspoliticspolitics.com. Either way. Uh, all right. Let's go ahead and get into our Titanic $10 tier. These are folks who support us and have throughout the year. Thank you guys for doing this. Uh, I love you, TNT. Dr. G, The Jet, Kathy Mack, Headphones Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, Jay Sulu, Dallas Danger, Taylor Middle-Aged Mike, but what happened to Tex? Get a bucket and a mop, Cujo, Idris, Jacob Wilson, Berkeley, Steven, Justin, Egan, Dot Com Junkie, Diana, Sunny Smiles, Tempest, Fugit, Mag, Jason with Magnolia, Delta Credit Card, Processing, Alec, Government, Unfiltered, Andres, Archie, Darren, Adam, Olin and Angela, DL, Kyle, Chad, Nomadic, Terran Miranda, Janelle, Jenny Colby, Robert Ward, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, J. Pink, and Andrew, you want to join their ranks, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's our last show before Christmas. One more show before the end of the year. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young. And with a full heart of holiday wishes, do I indeed remind you that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only show that talks about oh. yes.